0: This is Happy Place and I'm Fern Cotton. This is the podcast where we try to understand what's going on in other people's heads in the hope we can learn something about what's happening in ours. I'm absolutely loving making this series because it's a real personal mission. It's such a joy to work on every element of this series. and One of the best bits is working out who I'm going to talk to and how on earth I'm going to get hold of them. It's been really heartening reaching out to people like Paloma Faith and Dawn French and asking the questions I've always wanted to ask and hopefully they're the questions that you would have asked too. It's also really wonderful for me to be able to reach out to talk to very wise and brilliant friends. So today we're talking to a great mate of mine. You won't have heard of her, but her story is every bit as compelling as you've heard so far. You have to trust me on this, but Zephyr
1: Wildman is going to stay with you for a very long time. Just sitting with undesirable feelings is a great practice. It's creating some sort of grit or heat
2: Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com.
1: Moonpig.com.
2: And now,
0: here's the show. <laughs> Happiness is something that we all want right whatever you're looking for in life searching for trying to reach out for grab desperate for at the end of it we just all want to feel happy maybe you know all of the roots to your own inner happiness you know how to hit up that good feeling what things in life make you feel great maybe you're still searching for those things maybe you're yet to find them maybe you never will but what happens when the floor crumbles beneath your feet and something really unexpected happens out of the blue and just completely rocks your world, leaving you feeling just completely all over the shop, unstable, unsure, worried. What happens then? Can you live a lovely life and feel happy after trauma? Well, I'm going to meet up with my great friend today, Zephyr Waldman, and I'm going to talk to her about life after loss. She's got a really cute bulldog or something like that. Oh, hello! Boy,
1: see I oh, love you! So yeah, I met Ads when I was, I think I was turning 20 in the States, and I'm from Boise, Idaho. And he was on the Eric Clapton tour, so he was a musician. A few months later, he came back, and I moved to London, packed up medical school, and had a completely different life, and found myself in London, married six months later, and shared a life with a really creative charismatic charming you know talented man he got to play with some amazing artists in the music industry and that kind of lifestyle and it's a big roller coaster to kind of stand by someone and he was on tour quite a lot off and on and he finally got clean and he finally got sober and came home and within a week he was di- diagnosed with terminal cancer Uh, that was really hard because it wasn't a cancer at a stage where he had months to live. He had weeks and the cancer mastitized in his brain, liver and lungs. So we had to get everything organized really quickly. Me being a controlling person and like to do things really efficiently, I got a lot of stuff done. However, he wasn't passing away as quickly as they thought. And so it it took him 9 months and in that 9 months he was you know on stage and having a certain lifestyle and then finally went into hospice and that was his kind of final bit of saying goodbye and allowing the girls to come be witness of that as well so they were welcomed into the hospice and were there and saw him and said goodbye and that was really really hard and i i I filmed it so they could remember it because they were only six and four but it was almost a relief when he passed and there was a part of a guilt i felt bad that i felt relief because he finally passed because it was it felt like it was so long it took it so long for his suffering to end but I was there when he passed, and it was an, a very, it was a very magical moment watching that process. And I will never forget it, and I will cherish it because it keeps me very present
0: So I met Lovely Zephyr in a real serendipitous way. I had been asked by a colleague at work to go to a yoga class with her, and I thought, yeah, why not? I'll give it a go. There was this amazing, gorgeous, beautiful woman in front of me taking the class who just seemed so full of wisdom and confidence, and she seemed very grounded, and her class was exceptional, and that person was lovely Zephyr. At this point, I didn't know Zephyr's name. I didn't know anything about her, but I remember when I was leaving the yoga studio... I could hear Zephyr talking to a student in the corridor and she was telling her that she'd just lost her husband very recently and that she had two children and she was talking very openly and courageously about this, you know, really tragic story and it kind of blew me away because I'd sat there thinking, wow, this woman's amazing, I want to be able to do yoga like her and, you know, I kind of just went on that face value of what she looked like and how good she seemed at her job and hadn't really given her backstory much thought. I went home and told my husband about this amazing lady, Zephyr, that i just met. And then I started to connect the dots, because I remember that at the time, my husband had very recently been to a funeral of a dear friend called Adam. And then this spark, this sort of memory appeared in my brain that his wife was called Zephyr. So weirdly, my husband, Jesse, who I'd only been with for about a year at this point, was really good friends with Zephyr's husband. And from that point on, I became a devotee of uh, of Zephyr's yoga class. And also, we just became great friends as well. Everyone wants to hide everything away that might seem, you know, dark or different mm. to what everyone else is going through. When actually, what you realise when you open up is that People are going through all sorts of things you don't know about. And and actually, by being honest and connecting, being very vulnerable, that's going to heal you. It's going to help mm. your friends as well. Why do people find it so tough to open up about things and talk honestly, do you think?
1: Well, I think more so these days with kind of emphasis on emotional intelligence, people are more embracing real stories because they've been fed for so many years, this kind of perfect model, perfect magazine, perfect family, perfect... and striving for that if i attain this and this and this and this then i'll be happy and actually i know people who have all that Mm -hmm. stuff and are desperately depressed and unhappy and i think in a way what we're starting to see is is that we're evolving in embracing um the imperfect side Mm. embracing unique kind of random characteristics that make people uh, real accessible Mm -hmm. and I see that in my kids my daughter she went to school and she came back and she was really upset she goes mommy my best friend said I'm really glad you're normal and I don't want to be normal because I don't think I'm normal I like who I am and it was just like a just a little like even language is starting to change Mm. in she not wanting to subscribe to this normal or perfect but we connect more on human levels we connect more in sharing stories and uh, like social media i can't stand all the kind of perfect images and mm-hmm. and photoshopped and and lighting and uh, and the real stories really move people. But I was really nervous that people were going to criticize me and judge me or blame me. I couldn't handle that yeah. because I give it to myself so much more. Like I was like, oh, my hair and oh, what I should have said this or, mm. or I stuttered there. And that kind of very human, real, raw, this is my story. And I have been affected by certain things in my life, but I am not defined by that yeah. because I open myself mm. to every moment at a time I open myself to the flow of life the energy of life and in yoga we call it prana but that sense of that absolute truth that is pure love Mm. but we get consumed with if I was a size eight if I had that skin if I had that car if I had that house if I had that partner children that then I will be okay and I think it's it's hard because you're We are living in today's society that's feeding us a propaganda that is pushing this unattainable thing. And so in replace, because we can't actually get it, there's a huge amount of suffering, a huge amount of Mm. uh, discontent. Do you think also, you know, having all of these goals that are
0: a lot of the time quite empty and don't have some magical cure and make you feel amazing... They're all kind of sat there as empty promises because it stops you really looking at what's going on. It's kind of a big distraction. So it's easier to think, oh, I'd like to be this size in a dress or have this boyfriend or whatever, rather than go, God, why do I actually feel this
1: discomfort in life? Mm. Yeah, if you kind of scratch underneath. And that's where I think I, I feel really blessed that my girls are living Uh, Right now, where emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, that sense of kind of embracing that it's okay to have a dark side, a shadow side, it's Mm. okay to have undesirable feelings and emotions. But that now what do you do with it? Mm. You know, if I feel lonely, if I feel less than if I don't feel enough or worthy, or deserving of, now what do I do with it? And that's where it's like, now we need to start educating people of kind of like, when you catch yourself feeling that what are the tools to be able to move you into a place of contentment serenity Mm. peace a sense of stillness quietude or connection or that sense of faith or trust in life Mm. and like you know uh, what we talk about of kind of being able to have a friend or person you can confide in who you're able to be very real with that you can trust with the information that they're not going to use to be able to communicate and have the courage to be vulnerable, Mm. but then to be a part of the solution. Um, I think is really key. So it's teaching people techniques. You've obviously um, been dealt a fair
0: share of your own suffering in life, and you've had to face things that you didn't expect and that you didn't want to at the time. Mm. Your husband dying being mm. the mm. biggest one. Mm. How do you start to apply those tools to something in life that has you know shook up your whole world, mm. you know, and it can't be reversed, and and you know that, and you're kind of starting from scratch. How mm. on earth do you come out of that? I guess, quite chaotic
1: time as a human. Mm. Well, finding the things that bring you vitality, energy, being around the living, the laughter, being around people who uh, make you laugh, um, watching really funny things, being around beauty, art, um, music, anything that brings out vitality, because during grief and stressful times, We go into that kind of downward spiral at a depressive and that's kind of a lack of that vitality. Mm. And so finding practices or things in your life to bring more of that and then being accountable and responsible for one's emotions, one's feelings, one's thoughts. So I always like looking at it and, you know, stop myself. Self-awareness is key. Self-awareness of kind of going, okay, what are the unmanageable feelings? What are the unmanageable thoughts? Instead of kind of projecting, wanting to blame everybody else Oh, my husband died on me and this isn't fair. And it's rather taking responsibility and kind of going into what is unmanageable? What am I trying to be powerful over? I want to be powerful. I don't, I want to be powerful over the events in the future. I don't want to feel lonely. I don't want to feel unsafe. I don't want to. And so my be keeping my behavior in check. And mm-hmm. then doing something different than I normally would do. It's not a big thing then. Do you think that yeah. really helped you? It's like that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over yeah. again, expecting yeah. different results. It's like, I know going and turning into a duvet and not getting up and hibernating thinking that's going to fix my depression or my grief. It's not going to, I needed to get out and do something that brought me this sense of vitality and life back. And then the process of that self-awareness of understanding who I am each day as it comes and it, it it changes each day. So, bespoking the practices, looking at my food and diet, and I love that your book, and and you as a person, you're you you've been studying food and and love doing so it. Important. I love every time you come. I come over. You're cooking Cake. and you're doing yeah, <laughs> doing something because it brings you that vitality. Yeah. It's a healing yeah. process for you. But sleep, food, Mm. our community in which we socialize in, it's really important. The exercise and yoga or meditation, that process of awareness is key. Acceptance of wherever I find myself in any given time. And acceptance that, oh, God, I feel really good sad right now or i feel really angry right now mm. and it's not bad to have a feeling yeah go just, with it yeah it's <clears throat> bad to pass it on <clears throat> and subject <throat> someone else to it so the techniques is to pray it away yeah and whatever higher power that one believes in it's a personal experience but asking those shortcomings to be removed asking those undesirable feelings or thoughts to be removed and replacing it with something more productive Mm. so it's a it's a kind of a an active process that sense of awareness and acceptance and then taking action but you have to have some sort of community or guidance or methodology to kind of support you in this process. So seeking help, and it could be a yoga teacher, it could be a meditation teacher, it could be an art therapist, it could be a psychotherapist, but sometimes our stuff, our speed bumps in life are too big for us and we need extra help. Yeah, And sometimes it's a friend mm. who has the experience of being able to hold space for you When your bottom's fallen out and you feel groundless. And even though, like, my bubble burst when Adam died. It was like, I never thought after 13 years of being with this man, he would die. And, or I'd be a single parent to two kids. And I had a real kind of, like, tantrum of kind of like, why me? Why me? Mm. Why me? And a little voice went, why not? You said
0: something that I think is really, really important. And it's the word blame. Because I think... Mm. Whenever anything happens that is unfair, you know, there's Mm. loads of things that happen that are unfair all day long to loads of different people on varying degrees. And what happened to you is ridiculously unfair. And your natural instinct is to blame because Mm. you you just think, well, what, like you say, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? So your instant reaction is, I'm going to take that experience away from me slightly and put it on someone, something, a place, whatever it might be. And I think that is usually the human reaction in any Mm. negative situation. Did you sort of learn that process by trial and error in this very traumatic time? Or were you already very aware of that concept that, you you know, you couldn't do that and and
1: that wasn't going to help you? Mm. Yeah, I kind of probably learned that beforehand because being raised in a very kind of hippie environment, crazy kind of lifestyle, it was very unstable. Um, You know, I have you know addiction in both families that kind of threaded this kind of blueprint for me that i arrived to a 12 step fellowship um called al anon which was for friends and families of addicts and alcoholics which is a brilliant methodology in being able to experience um mental spiritual emotional resilience mm. um and i can being a there's a there's that saying whereas if you blame someone you're pointing the finger well there's three fingers pointing back at you Mm. and this idea that anybody who makes us upset or any situation that makes us upset is a is a mirror Mm. it's an ability to kind of reflect you know i don't like how that person's behaving but what does it say about me and so it's so easy to kind of want to blame and pass on responsibility to someone else, but I find it more empowering taking the responsibility and accountability of my side. Mm. I know what I cannot change. I can't change people, places and things. I am powerless over that, but what I can change is myself. And, you know, to the simplest thing of working with, you know, clients to, um, you know, raising kids. I am powerless over how, they choose to live their life but what i'm powerful over is how i conduct myself and so wanting to blame adam for dying yeah there was a part of me that wanted to sit on a pity pot and sit there until it was overflowing and it stunk really bad but i knew that it wouldn't serve me in the long run for my growth but also to be able to be of service to my kids and my community Mm. so yeah, it's really easy to blame, and I think we have a culture of blame, and we have a society, and a you know a, con- a couple countries who are yeah. blaming everybody else and not taking responsibility. And we mm. can see how it creates separateness; it creates this division. Mm. And my experience is 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 that if I can find peace within my own judgment, arrogance, intolerance, impatience selfishness self-pity if I can come to terms with mine I have more compassion for someone else who is stumbling along and behaving badly and I go oh they're just having a hard time it's nothing to do it's more about them than me and if I pass on blame I'm passing on the responsibility it's like I'm I'm giving someone else power
0: and I guess that does that slow down your own personal process of healing to whatever extent you're going to get to
1: yeah What it does is it prolongs suffering Hmm. and suffering is inevitable. Like the kind of four noble truths, life is suffering. Hmm. Life is suffering. 50% is desirable. 50% is, is uh, undesirable. 50% is discomfort. 50% is comfort. How do we deal with both? Hmm. And how do I sit in discomfort, bravely facing undesirable feelings and emotions how do I sit in comfort? And can I experience the same amount of grace in both sides? And I use that little Four Noble Truths as a really good methodology. Life is suffering. Looking at the origins of suffering. Change creates suffering. Birth, illness or disease and death create suffering. That's inevitable. Making a plan or following a methodology to cease that suffering and then following it out. And usually what I find is being able to relate to other people's darknesses. I teach to heal my pain. I teach to be of service to heal a part of me that still needs love, light, um, that sense of grace and faith.
0: So it's very much a daily practice. Even now, you know, you're quite far down the line with... How you know you've accepted what's happened to you, and and how you then you know use that information to teach other people, mm. and I don't know if you'd ever use the word comfortable, but you 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 sit in that place and you're okay with it. Mm. But um, was there ever a time when you know after it first happened when you thought I'm I'm not going to get there, I'm 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 too far into this suffering, and and I'm never going to see the other fifty percent again?
1: Yeah, about three months after ads passed a huge wave of grief which was so unexpected and anger came up and I found myself really scared because I went to a real dark place and I seeked extra help. I found a grief counselor. The treatment center that I work with um, offered me some grief counseling as well and I went to the doctor and they put me on a low dose of medication to stabilize me because mentally, emotionally, and hormonally, I went through a huge trauma. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stigma and shame around getting extra help. Mm. And I think we in the community need to have more education or uh, receive better education in regards to mental illness and dealing with depression. And the taboo around experiencing depression is... Huge. It's
0: so strange that it's like that, don't you think? Because yeah. even through my own personal experiences of having had depression, you don't want to talk about it. And it's the time when you need to more than any other. Mm. And, you know, when I spoke to you uh, and we had many chats about stuff, they, they were the first few moments where I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to be all right, actually. Maybe, you know, there is you know another way of doing this, another way mm. of seeing things, another way of looking at this whole situation. But it is a time when you feel... I don't know if it is because you feel ashamed or like it's this horrible secret that you can't sort of tell anyone. And mm. and it is a weird stigma that certainly in society needs to dissipate pretty quick. I'm not sure how that happens mm. unless everyone just starts talking a lot more quite quickly.
1: Yeah. Well, I do think it is happening more and more. Um There's well-known celebrities here in the UK and also in America who are starting to talk about it. There's great TED Talks about yes. um, depression and around um, uh, certain other mental diseases. And and I, I really think it's communicating. I think mm. it's educating. I think it's teaching our youth to be able to have uh, better coping mechanisms mm. to deal with today's society. And I do think they're going to have it a lot harder because – they now have instant ways of communicating and they see more images that are photoshop that are perfect that are um misrepresentation of women of men of boys of girls and what life's all about so i think we need to just start talking about it and being brave enough but there is a big shame culture that Mm. again subscribes if you're not perfect if you don't look like that if you don't
2: feel like different yeah if you're different yeah it's so terrifying
0: So so after Adam passed and you you'd been on this roller coaster of I'm sure feeling okay for a bit and then horrendous and okay for a bit was there a moment where either due to communication or whatever else was going on that you had that turning point where you thought I'm going to have a life after this trauma and it's going to be okay
1: Yeah I I have a regular practice and my practice of yoga and meditation and I see my teachers and um one of my teachers came into town and did a week-long teacher training and um it was very very challenging i resisted it i cried publicly in front of a hundred students um half were my students half i mentored and then my the rest are my peers and it was really humbling to publicly be so vulnerable mm. but by the end I had so much of this vitality, fire and drive, not to be defined by what had happened to me, but this light in which um, to move forward. But I had to practice every day. And finding the it every day of kind of like, what do I need today, um, to be able to be touched by that vitality. And as you can see in my house, I have a lot of fake, really bright flowers. I love them. And so (laughs) most of this room was designed in that time. Even though I wear normally a lot of black, um, people who come to my house are like, oh my God, you have color. (laughs) Um, Being around the living, being around this vitality, Mm. it was this determination to live. It was this determination. And that was because I was a part of the community. I had to show up every day and stand in front of students and open my mind, my heart, and trust whatever came out was meant to be. And not to hide the fact that I was struggling, but to use what I was teaching to heal myself. And, um, I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of mantra practice. I did a lot of meditation and, um, I also do uh, gratitude lists. I and love I, them. Yeah. I, I remember um, you coming to one of my classes and I was teaching that and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to definitely do that. Did one and that it, night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right straight home to my pen and pad. And gratitude lists. And yeah. it's that felt sense. So no amount of me kind of going, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. And there is a sense of, uh, there's statistical knowledge that for one negative thought it takes five positive thoughts to actually mm. combat that negative thought but it's what really really helped me um in the little practices is that felt sense of gratitude mm. that doing practices that created that vitality to be able to have that fire in my belly determination to live to grow to thrive to um move beyond what i was experiencing but it was that felt sense of gratitude and it's always little things, isn't it, as well, like, you know, like it being a sunny day or
0: mm. or like, you know, just seeing a nice view or feeling warm or the cup of tea you have in the morning. Just mm. it's not going to be I'm grateful for anything that you've achieved necessarily mm. or attained. It's mm. those things that we sort of pass by and forget about and those things that sort of root you and ground you in those moments where you're feeling a bit desperate and, mm. and
1: terrified. Mm. It kind of puts things in perspective. Yeah. A little bit. Um, it gives you a little window of opportunity to kind of have respite from the, that darkness.
0: I remember you calling them like seeds of gratitude or something mm. and then you plant all the little seeds and mm-hmm. then whatever can grow from there grows yeah. from there. And that's so important to do, it, I guess, in
1: those sorts of times as well. Yeah, because like, like what I love to teach is, is that it's almost like your yoga mat is your garden and you're digging up the debris, you're digging up the residue of that kind of dealing with life And so as you dig up the rocks and the rubbish, you plant seeds. Now, if you've planted negative seeds and you water that, that tree is going to grow into this massive negativity. Mm. So you plant seeds of gratitude. You water it. You nurture it with your morals and ethical code, you know, your personal um, connection to whatever you believe in and you breathe it in and you keep practicing on that mm. bed you nurture your garden and hopefully as you bring light and life and laughter and love into that garden the fruit um you know is it, it will be abundant well i mean you practicing your
0: thoughts around that testament to, to where you've ended up now so you've, you've remarried and you've yeah. got this wonderful husband Christian yeah. who we love and adore um, and your two girls are utterly amazing yeah. was it hard after going through something so traumatic to sort of trust
1: again and think well, that things are going to be okay yeah what I found I didn't necessarily not tr- well okay so what I didn't trust. And what I have still is a morbid reality that life is very impermanent. Yeah. That the love that I have found in Christian, the love that I have with my two girls is impermanent. And that there is this illusion that we con ourselves constantly Mm. that it's going to be there forever. Yeah. And they can be taken away any moment. Mm. And so breathing them in and enjoying them as they are. um, It is a, Kind of a morbid reality I wake up every day mm. with, and I and I have, but it keeps me afresh to that sense of gratitude mm. that I get to experience love again.
0: How do you tip more into gratitude rather than? fear and terror around all of that and how do you sort of let go knowing you know haven't experienced that morbid reality
1: well again it's like i <laughs> i have a disease of forgetfulness as well and i like <laughs> to control outcomes i like to be controlling like you're never going to die on me yeah and i'm never going to feel pain around that mm-hmm. and uh, um but i find that that behavior is like a snowball, or that negative seed that gets planted, Mm. you water that fear, and that fear becomes all encompassing. Mm. And then it becomes it comes out sideways. So it's that practice of faith of trust, of connection, that it's going to be okay, even if it's not going to be okay, like, I keep on replaying when those fear, the conversations come in, that I look back, and I'm like, it might happen again, where he dies, but then look, Dad's passed away, and I have had the most amazing life Mm. afterwards. Mm. So why am I feeding this fear and not trusting life that if something else bad's going to happen... Why won't it still be okay? Yeah. And over the umbrella of life, I do think it will be okay. Mm. But we hit speed bumps every once in a while or obstacles and we kind of look at it and we wrestle with it and we try to go under it and we go around it and we try to go over it. And if we can just be aware and see it as a gift, a lesson that mirrors back um, something in ourselves that we need to learn again and again and again, Mm. That sense of self acceptance and deep acceptance as uh, uh, of life as it is, then it dissolves and we can move. I always try to like hold on to something really, really hard. I'm like, I don't want to let it go. I don't, mm. want, to go. I don't want to let it go. I don't want to let it go. But what I'm doing is destroying it, like yeah. gripping it
0: so hard. Yeah. we all do that.
1: I just don't we? let it go.
0: Let it go. It's the hardest thing to let go, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a complete control freak, as you well know. So <laughs> I find it very difficult to let go. And I do do that as well. Like grab hold of things or push things away and 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 it is that sense of just having to let go and and having that trust. And I guess also a lot of it is about discipline because mm. especially with with how you work and and what you do with your yoga practice and how you teach and and how you live daily it is there is so much discipline involved and I mm. guess a lot of people culturally these days are looking for a quick fix. They're looking for something that's going to happen once and fix everything. Mm. But it's a daily discipline. It's like cleaning the kitchen. Like cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> and that's sort of with everything with sort of mental well-being, happiness, life after trauma. It's mm-hmm. a daily thing. Yeah. And, we, and you can't be slack on that, can you really?
1: No. And this, the beginning of this year, I have everything that I've ever wanted. And then all of a sudden, my husband goes do you want to live in London for the rest of your life? Should we move somewhere else? And all of a sudden I was like, (gasps) where should we go? What do you mean? Do we not share the same vision? (laughs) And all of a sudden it snowballed into Mm. this massive discontent that my life right now isn't okay. I need something more. And sitting with discontent is an interesting practice. Mm. But the practice of going, oh, I got discontent. This is a feeling of discontent. Just sitting with undesirable feelings is a great practice. It's creating some sort of grit or heat and just sit with it because you'll learn, you know, life for me, even though I have everything that I kind of need and want, I can make my own life hell by trying to yep. control every little micromanage, you know, every Compare to life.
0: others, think yes. you've got less.
1: Yeah, it's all the things that we do all yeah. the time that compare and
0: despair. Yes, and exactly. All of that awful stuff. So with sitting with any sort of discontent, that is when all of us as humans tend to try without even thinking about it, a subconscious numbing. So you go and you drink to excess, or maybe not excess, but you drink, or you go to the biscuit tin and you eat to numb, or Mm -hmm. you go online and you buy clothes to shop to distract. And it's all of those numbing things that we get so used to in a a very bad sort of pattern with. And it seems like harmless stuff a lot of
1: the time, Mm. you know, if it
0: is just a habitual pattern you get into.
1: Mm.
0: How do you start to break those and even recognise that you're doing them?
1: Well, it's really interesting because... I love neurology. I love how the brain works and the brain loves habit, routine, and it also loves impulses because all those three give the brain dopamine. Mm. So when the kind of primitive part of the brain goes into having heightened emotions, whether it might be positive or negative, it experiences some sort of stress. This part of the brain goes into wanting dopamine. And it doesn't care about long term consequences. It just wants dopamine because it doesn't want to feel. And we reach for something to numb. But when we numb, whether even if it's like really lovely carrot cake or whether it's, you know, getting a new pair of shoes, you not only just numb the bad feelings, you numb good feelings. Mm. And it is a progressive thing. And we know this. We kind of know now you know, minor addictions to big addictions is a progressive thing. yeah. And it's something that once you become like, oh, yeah, this is not as satisfying. I need some more and I need more and I need more and more and more. And it's just a part of the brain that is designed to make sure that we survive. Mm. But we are evolved. We have a prefrontal cortex and we have this part of the brain that we can make higher decisions and go actually long term this isn't going to satisfy what we should really do is learn how to sit with our feelings Mm. and be okay with what is and um, what can i do now to one manage this feeling in a productive way rather than a destructive way Mm. and is my choices drawing me farther away from spirit or closer to spirit, Mm. or love, or whatever you want to call it. So I think it's just finding different tools to be able to, when you're in crisis, or stress, or, you know, a funk, of making sure you can spot it, create Mm. that awareness, have a sense of self-acceptance around wherever you find yourself, and then put into action some of these tried and tested techniques, you know, some of the tools in your books, yoga methodology, whether it's something that you learn from um, a a psychologist or, you know, something you read in a a magazine, but trying something that brings you closer to that vitality or spirit. So yeah, I I belong to a 12 step fellowship called Al-Anon and it's for friends and families of alcoholics. For one alcoholic or addict, there's 10 people affected. That's a huge amount of our Mm -hmm. population affected by the disease of addiction that need to seek help. And I think what anonymous programs like AA, NA, Al-Anon give is a platform or a group or a community that you can remain anonymous. No one knows your surname or where you come from or how much money you have, but you're all there on the common denominator that your lives have been affected by the disease of addiction. And there's common kind of traits, you know, um, usually al-anon members are usually quite codependent they try to control the addict they try to hide the drink or you know the drugs they try to manipulate in certain ways to get them not to do the drug of choice they tend to overmother or enable and so you know it makes people insane mm. and this causes anxiety and depression in a lot of people if not treated. And so there's a great program in which you go to random meetings, you drop in two quid, and you sit around a table with little slogans, and you read the 12 steps. People openly share their experience, their courage, their strength, and their hope in being vulnerable. By telling their story, they could be of service to help other people. The methodology, which is really Interesting. Bill and Bob in the States created the 12 steps AA, and Bill and Bob took a lot of their kind of methodology from Jung. Jung took a lot of his methodology from Indian philosophy, especially kind of Shaivism. So when I study yoga, I'm like, oh, there's the 12 steps. Mm. Practice these principles in all of your affairs. It's like practice, practice, practice. There's certain key words that I keep, it's like, that serendipity or that kind of weird way things are woven together that kind of like my yoga and my al-anon came to me at the same time Mm. to create an enriched way of healing my broken childhood my huge speed bump of losing my husband and then helping me along the way to fall back in love and to create the life I do have.
0: I think it goes back to that very overused word in this day and age, which is mindfulness. And yeah. a lot of people don't really know what it even means properly because mm. we all bat it about so much these days and you read it in magazines, you see it on the front cover of books. Mm. But it is about knowing what you're like I guess at the end of the day isn't it and knowing if you are so you've got that amazing piece of carrot cake are you eating it because you're numbing something and you're just wanting to quickly get it in your gob and whatever or are you really loving every single moment and it's kind of not necessarily always what you're doing but it's how you're doing it and and why you're doing it as well Mm.
1: and I do love that mindfulness is Becoming more of an accepted term. Yes, very much so. However, I get really panickety because it's full of mind. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, th- that's what I'm trying to get away with yeah, because yeah, I yeah. am in my head and I'm driving myself yeah. crazy. So awakefulness, awarefulness, mm. I like to use those because it's more about waking up in every given moment. Yeah, your whole And your whole system as well, not just mentally, like yeah. every bit of you. Yeah, wake up, be more awareful mm. and then mindful of being mastery over self-knowledge, over self-understanding and going... Oh, this is what that train of thought. And sometimes our thoughts are so insidious and it's like a parasite and we don't even know we're on this train ride of negativity until it smacks us in the face. Mm. But as soon as you become aware of it, mindful of it, then it's like, oh, how do I be in this moment? Mm. How can I be in my body? And a lot of the kind of movement based therapies, yoga and other kind of things, where do you feel your stuff? Where do you feel your fear? Where do you feel your guilt? Where do you feel your shame? Where do you feel your grief? Where do you want to kind of, you're not able to see clearly or command your life with clear perception? Mm. How do you clear the debris, clear the rubbish out of your physical body? Mm. So whether it's swimming, um, running, whether it's cycling, whether it's yoga, whether it's, you know, whatever form. It's the simple
0: stuff though, isn't it? Yeah, it's doing something different. And it's movement and it's... Mm breaking free of all those things yeah just yeah dancing I remember you saying something so lovely that when you were having tough times you and the girls would just get up in the morning and just
1: dance and put loads of music on they blew the speakers out of that TV like that that TV doesn't have proper speakers now because we turned the music up in the morning because it was so hard some mornings of course um, because it took him a little while to pass away and and he really um, fought till the end and we just turned on music and danced and it was so much fun and even the girls still do it we do it. Yeah. In the kitchen, yeah. most nights, before tea, yeah. just in Timberlake,
0: we're yeah. off. <laughs> but it is like, it's sort of physically shaking it, isn't it, yeah. as well? Because I think, again, you know, culturally, we all think it's going to be this huge mountain we've got to climb or this huge thing we've got to do mm. to tap up that inner happiness on whatever level. Mm. But it's really simple things, and yeah. it's physical. To
1: make you smile, to make you laugh. Yeah. You look at any culture around the world, and most cultures process it that Mm, way mm. smiling is universal
0: even if you haven't gone through massive amounts of trauma but if you are feeling a bit shitty and a bit down what that starting point is um, I personally would say not from an expert point of view at all but personally like you were talking about earlier just getting physical and and being outside and not getting stuck in a rut so a little jog or trying yoga or just something physical just to sort of take it away from the mental space Mm -hmm. that that seems to work for me certainly what what would you say
1: well I guess it's it's in the same kind of context it's the ability for self-nurture starting to take care of yourself exercise eat well sleep Sleep is essential. If you're not sleeping enough and you're having insomnia, you're going to go crazy. Mm. Um, Or if you're sleeping too much, being around other like-minded people or people who are going to uplift you. And sometimes you have to pay for that. Like you need proper help. You need a medical advisor. You know, sometimes you need someone to hold space for you. But looking at who you're socializing, you like if you're having a hard time going to the pub. And drowning your stuff in in a beer with a mate who's doing the same thing is kind of those choices are kind of downward spirals. Mm. Whereas doing things that bring you up in a spiral yeah. and create that vitality, that energy, that that being around the living, being around beauty, light, like making better decisions and choices, and it stems from um, being more self aware in that moment and and knowing. How to bespoke what you need today. Some days I need to go and have a nap. Mm. for me to function. Some days I need to go out in the sun and go walk in the park. Mm. Some days I need to, you know, go and have really crappy popcorn food, you know, <laughs> like just veg out in front of a TV yeah. and laugh at a comedy. Some days I need to sit really quiet mm. and I need to be by myself. Like
0: listen to yourself yeah. and what you think, like listen to what that voice is telling you to do. But if it's going to be in a good way, not a destructive way.
1: Yeah, the one good thing is like your book has so many options. Like you can flip through and open and then there's, well, let's try that. I'm yeah. finding a Just trying something today, different. different. Yeah. It's that idea of looking at, okay, my unmanageable thought and my feeling. Okay, now what do I do? I come to do something different than mm. I normally do. And then from that, I hand over whatever undesirable thought, feeling or emotion that I'm feeling, thinking, over free me from it I'm entirely ready just let it go practicing letting go how do you do that is it a run is it a hand gesture is it if in doubt breathe out you know how do you let go Because people like to put me on a pedestal of being this yoga teacher. And I always am like, no, I'm just the same. I am just as human. I trip over myself all the time. I just have gathered more tools to be able to experience more resilience in my life. I don't do it perfectly. I still trip up over myself. But when I do, hopefully I have the tools in place to be able to successfully deal with whatever is arising more efficiently. Oh, thank you so much. I love talking to you, as you well know, because I've talked
0: the hind legs off a donkey with you for hours (laughs) on. But really nice to talk really specifically about this. I think loads of people will find it massively interesting and there'll be a lot of people out there that are going to get a lot of solace from it and a lot of comfort from your words as well. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. And thanks to Boise for farting. I know, through the whole whole thing, (laughs) It created a wonderful aroma throughout our chat. So thank you, Boise, as well. I have gained so much from Zephyr over the years. Uh, She's definitely one of my favourite people on planet Earth. One thing I definitely now do every day is a gratitude list with pen and paper or, if not, just in my head. Also, Zephyr's really taught me about discipline and that most mental matters and also hitting up that inner happiness is really a discipline and a daily focus. So thank you, wonderful Zephyr. Now, next week, we have another personal favourite. It's Alexandra Shulman, who spent 25 years running the UK magazine Vogue. Please rate, review and subscribe to Happy Place wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much to Zephyr. Thanks to the producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Cordio. And of course, to you wonderful people for listening. I love you and I'll see you soon. Bye bye.